0: We are. have made it to Romans 6. This is, again, your warning. You have to know what has happened before, so we will try to recap that because, again, until about chapter 12, there's just nowhere to, there's no pause button. There's just, we just got to pick a spot, cut it, and then move on. So let's start out with a fun little question. You know that joy you get? when you were when you were reminded of the grace and mercy that God has poured out upon you you know when you recognize how awful of a human being you were and how sinful you are and then you actually remember that God has still loved you and died for you and cleansed you of all unrighteousness and you actually have that <laughs> feeling would you believe that there are people who try to exploit that and corrupt it for their own benefit i know you're shocked right no not not humanity never well Just remember that as we get into chapter 6. So, why are we, why is, why does chapter 6 exist in Romans? Why doesn't it just go on to chapter 7? Well, one, counting doesn't work that way. And two, last week we had a compare and contrast of your two representatives before God. So, Adam was compared to Jesus, and Jesus was the better one. I know, once again, you're just shocked by that. Like, what, we compared someone to Jesus and they lost? Who would have thunk that? So, The conclusion of that section though, the end of chapter 5, is that sin abounds, but even though sin abounds in the world, God's grace abounds all the more. So is, this is like Paul's example from um, from First Timothy that Paul was redeemed, a blasphemer and a murderer, basically, as proof that you have not gone too far. That the grace of God covers sins even as wicked as Paul's, and that's kind of the point that is being made in Romans five: is that sin has abounded as the law has been understood, people have rejected righteousness and embraced sin, and yet God's mercy and grace covers that. You go, well, what if the line is here? Well, God covers that line. Well, what if the line is here? Well, God covers that line. So that's the conclusion of chapter 5. So, then the question becomes, well, but but Paul, what if I really want to wallow in my sin and take advantage of the grace of God? Because again, you're going, what type of person would ask that question? Have you watched the news lately? Like what I mean, there are people of all types of abuses, and corruptions in this world. Surely someone somewhere has thought of it. And that's one of the reasons why Romans is as long as it is, is because Paul is trying to think through all of these objections and then answer them. But that's why chapter 6 is here after 5 and before 7, because we have to deal with that. So let's dive into verse 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? And you're going, that's the dumbest question I've ever heard. But, 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 if you've been paying attention to what Paul has laid out, this is not an entirely ridiculous and unfair question based on what Paul has been teaching. And you're going, "What? what do you mean by that? Well, rewind a little. Romans 3. If through my lie, the truth of God abounded to his glory, why am I also still being judged as a sinner? Romans 5. Having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled will be saved by his life. And then a little farther along, the free gift is not like the transgression. For if by the transgression of the one, the many died, much more did the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound to the many. See, the question that's asked here comes along because the argument would then go, well, God covers all the sin, and God's grace is something to be celebrated and something to be rejoiced in. Therefore, we sin so that God's grace will cover that sin, and that glorifies God because it shows how good he is. Isn't that amazing? And you're like, I think there's something wrong with that. I'm just not entirely sure what it is. (laughs) But let's be honest. Doesn't that sound like one of those arguments that somebody would make with like one of those slick TV specials, you know, wearing skinny jeans with the nice music in the background and be like, and see, here's how it works. As your sin increases, God's grace increases and we all glorify God for his marvelous grace. Therefore, God is praised by your sin. Isn't that wonderful? So go live however you'd like. See, you laugh. I can make that argument because I have actually heard that argument made. Again, it's almost as if Romans is not in the Bible, and yet it is. But then again, Job is in the Bible, and we still have the prosperity gospel. So, humanity will corrupt just about anything whenever given an opportunity. So, Paul's answer, verse 2, may it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Now, this is where I don't love the NASB. And you know, I genuinely do love the NASB. It's a, it's a very aggravating translation to read as evidenced by the fact that almost every Sunday I stutter over something because it just doesn't sound quite right in English. But may it never be sounds like something from Shakespeare. Like, shall we execute the children, darling? May it never be. This uh, shall not happen this way. I mean, it's not strong enough. It's one of those, I don't do this to you a lot, you know, I'm not one of those people, but like you know, the Greek phrase here isn't what it really means is you know, blah, blah, blah. but it's so much fun to say in Greek. It's meganoita. and doesn't that just sound angry? Exactly, like. <laughs> See, I don't do this because it freaks me out. Like years ago, we were watching, the, a couple years ago, we were watching the Olympics and they started singing the, um, the Olympic anthem. You know, there's a hymn to the Olympics. And so I looked it up on the website because they were singing it in whatever. But the Olympics were in China. So they were, I don't even know what they were singing it in. So I looked up the lyrics and they had them in Greek. So I just started reading them off in Greek because I'm weird. And Cameron goes, stop it before you summon a demon. <laughs> Like, if you keep reading, some mummy climbs out of a tomb somewhere, and we're all doomed. Shut up. <laughs> but, Meganoita just sounds, and it should sound angry, because it is. It's an emphatic, like, the, the, a better translation would not be, may it never me, but, have you lost your mind? Like, what? Or might like I keep saying I need an R.C. Sproul button when R.C. Sproul looks at that crowd and goes, what is wrong with you people? Shall we continue in sin so that grace may abound? Are you dumb or just stupid? That's, that's what Paul actually says. Now, why does he say things like this? Well, you can go all the way back to Jesus. I've told you one of my favorite kickoffs to a parable is Luke 6. This is one of those verses you should have in the back of your head by now. Jesus looking at the crowds and says, why do you call me Lord and you do not do what I say? Like, that's one of those does. Like, you call me Lord, you claim to follow me, but when I tell you to go this way, you go that way. That doesn't look like following to me. 1 John 3, John puts it this way. No one who is born of God practices sin because his seed abides in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. That doesn't mean you will never commit sin. Always remember John 3 comes after John 1, and John 1 reminds you that if you say you have no sin, you are a liar, and the truth is not in you. But John 3 is reminding you that when you sin, let's, let's be honest, Christian, you've never sinned and didn't know it. It's not like you woke up and someone was like, you know that was bad. You're like, really? I had no idea. Are you sure? Find me a Bible verse. <laughs> you're like, no, not that one. I already know that one. Darn it. <laughs> I mean, you knew. You knew you weren't supposed to, and you did what? You did it anyway. And then you're like, why do I feel bad? Oh, gee, because the Holy Spirit's looking at you with disappointed dad face going... We both knew how this was going to go. I mean, that's what First John 3 is getting on about. That's what Jesus is warning the crowds about. This is why Paul can give you an emphatic answer. Th- that's not an argument from someone who has been redeemed from their sin, experienced the grace of God, understood what the work of Christ has accomplished, and seeks to avoid their sin daily. That's the verse of someone, or that's the que- Verse 1 is the question of someone who's like, all right, how do I get the most out of this for me? Because let's be honest, we all know what this is really about. Now, let's also be honest, if everything is still about you, then you are not surrendered to Christ. It's the question of the unbeliever. It's the question of the pagan who is pretending. It is not the question of the believer. So if you ever see somebody in the skinny jeans making this argument, you know that the grace of God is glorified, God is glorified as his grace abounds. So your sin increases the grace of God and therefore glorifies God. Change the channel, run screaming from the room, throw the hymnals, you know the drill, right? Screaming from the room, throwing things the whole nine yards. Now, Paul does not just leave this, and this is one of those great encouragements that I always give you. Never just mock the stupidity of the world. Like when you see the lunacy of sin and you just go, that's just so dumb, no one would possibly believe it. Okay. Do not underestimate the depravity of humanity and what sin will accomplish. Okay. When you look at something in the world and you go, that's just so ridiculous, no one could possibly believe it. I promise you, there is an internet chat group debating its merits. Okay, somewhere there is someone going, that's the most brilliant thing I've ever heard. So never just make fun of it and move on. You even have to refute the silly things. And that's what Paul is going to do for the rest of this section is the answer is obvious. But just in case the answer is not obvious to someone you're dealing with, let's make sure we actually have a reason behind it. Sound good? Verse 3. Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? So, the work of Christ is an actual undoing of who you are slash were. You have been baptized into his death. This is our baptismal formula. We just did a few weeks ago, right? Buried with him in death. Raised to walk in the newness of life. An identification with Christ is an identification into his death. You are dead to the old self. Old things are gone. Behold, new things have come. This is, again, replete in your New Testament. Colossians 3, you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Galatians 3, for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. If you'd like a great exposition of this, you can read 1 Peter 3. For Christ died for sins, once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit." Corresponding to that, baptism now saves you. Don't panic. Not the removal of dirt from the flesh, but an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who is at the right hand of God, having gone into heaven after angels and authorities and powers have been subjected to him. you got to remember, um, throughout most of church history, this is one of those fun little quirks of society, um, baptism was pretty quick in most Most of church history, like you made a profession of faith, we baptized you because your baptism was your profession of faith. It was your introductory rite. We end up slowing it down now because typically in most evangelical churches, baptism is also accompanied by church membership. And we'd like to be really, really careful about who we let vote on things. (laughs) You know, we'd like to see you for a little while, make sure you're not completely crazy. I mean, you're here, so you're mostly crazy, but not completely crazy before we actually let you have a say on stuff. So that's why you see most most churches delay that process now is because it accompanies membership and membership has voting rights and privileges and decision-making. And we're, we, we like to be careful with that. But for most of church history, you made a profession. Have you been baptized? No, we'll get you out in the water. <laughs> this is how you testify to the community. And that's why Peter can say that baptism saves you because the baptism is your appeal to Christ. It is your public declaration of your faith in him. The baptism isn't actually saving you, not the, not the removal of dirt, but an appeal to Christ. So being baptized in Christ is being baptized into his death, but wait, there's more, verse 4. Ooh, that rhymed. Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. So here is your dichotomistic, I'll use the big words, living in Christ. You are dead in Christ, buried with him in death, and you are alive in Christ, raised to walk in the newness of life. This is why Jesus could tie the Pharisees in a knot, like Nicodemus comes to ask questions and Jesus gives him things like, um, Jesus answered and said to him, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And then he says again, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Why would Jesus say those things? Because his work is, Actually changes you. This is why I don't have any quarter for someone asking the Romans six one question, because the actual changed heart, the renewed mind, and redeemed conscience doesn't try to figure out how do I get the most out of the world for me as I live in Christ. That's sin and iniquity speaking. Have no quarter for that. I mean, let's be honest. When you find sin in your life, what should you do? How do how do we deal with it? Kill it with fire, right? Nah, that's why you stab, stab, burn, burn the whole nine yards, right? So, Christian, in your body of believers, in your church, when you see someone asking the questions of the flesh, should you tolerate them? Should you be like, well, you know, brother, let's sit down and have a coffee and discuss these things. That's dumb. What are you doing? (laughs) Let's be honest. Do we need the first one sometimes? Yes. Do we also need the second one sometimes? Also, yes. Sometimes you have to rip the Band-Aid off, right? Remember when your kids would come to you and be like, it hurts, I can't pull it off. And be like, oh, that's okay. We're going to get it for you. And then, we, nah, It's better now, right? We're all done, all right? We're all good. We're, it's over with. <laughs> you always need somebody else to do You ever try to rip the Band-Aid off yourself? That's like the worst thing on the planet because you go, darn it, now it just hurts more. <laughs> it's like three tries. You need, you need somebody else to do what? Someone who's not you, doesn't feel it, doesn't love you as much as you love you, and then says what? All right, fine, here we go you need that in Christ. Now, again, why? Because Christ actually changes his people. Ephesians 4. In reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind, put on the new self which is which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Now, This is where Christian rubber meets worldly road here, because this is who you are. How you doing? (laughs) It's one of my favorite questions for you guys, isn't it? Because I love the face. It's like, don't ask me that. We both know what the answer is, which is exactly why I asked it. This is where you ready for your big fancy theological terms of the day? That we're in, we've been in Genesis on Wednesdays, and so I've been having fun with all the fun, fancy Latin terms. I'll give you one, too. The Christian life theologically described. You are simul justus et peccator. And again, I'm not summoning a mummy. Nothing is going to come climbing out of the walls. Simultaneously justified, yet sinning. This is you in Christ in the world. This is Christian living meeting the worldly road. This is what happens with you being renewed. And which is again why I say you don't ask the Romans 6-1 question. Because you ask that question and go, oh, that's a terrible question. Now I feel bad about myself. (laughs) Because the Holy Spirit's going, what were you even thinking? And you're like, I don't know. Sorry, I won't do it again. The argument that you sit there and go, no, 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 I'm trying to justify my sin. I'm trying to excuse my sin. I'm trying to allow my sin is not a renewed mind. It's not a redeemed heart. You have not passed go. You have not collected $200. Something has gone terribly wrong in your sanctification. Now, the beauty of this is, What's the starting point for that? What do we do? We proclaim Christ, return to him in repentance and faith, and he renews the heart, changes the mind, and the whole nine yards. Christian, as you are caught in your sin, simultaneously justified and yet sinning, what do you do? The exact same thing. You are reminded of Christ. This is our math equation, right? Wherever you look at yourself, do what? Take 10 looks at Jesus, because you're reminded that, yes, I am bad. This is where Romans 5 ending is rightly applied. Whereas sin has abounded, but grace abounds even more. You don't go, good, that means I get to sin more. You mean, oh, good, that means despite my sin, God's grace and mercy still covers. That's the right application from the redeemed heart, not the wrong one. And again, why? Because you recognize the change that has been wrought, because it has actually been wrought. And that's why Paul continues, verse 5. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Now, why? Because if Christ has actually accomplished this for his people, and if Christ has actually changed his people, does he do that just so he can leave them on the side of the highway of life and be like, you know what? It was nice knowing you. I got you this far. You're on your own, kid. Is that how Christian living actually works? The answer is no. The Holy Spirit's not looking at you going, you know what? tired of this. I don't want to play this game anymore. I'm going home. Bye. <laughs> "Wait, wait, No, no, come back. I'm sorry. <laughs> Jesus gets you to the end. Philippians 1. Good summary of this. I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Now, Colossians 2 gives you a little bit more expansion based on who Jesus is, which by the way, never forget this. I haven't mentioned this, I don't think, in a week or two. Romans assumes a sovereign God. If you try to understand Romans without the understanding that God is ruling and reigning over his creation, there be dragons. You will find a pothole somewhere and fall into it. And I don't mean like a little oopsie pothole. I mean like an Illinois downtown pothole. Okay? Like the ones you hit and then like have that spot in your car's dashboard that you pat to apologize you're all smiling because you you're have. you like, I'm sorry, I don't mean it, don't hurt, I didn't have to be okay, please be okay. You know, Alpine. <laughs> oh, sorry, I'm having flashbacks so when I lived in the north end of town and had to make that drive every day. You, it's sad when you're driving down what's supposed to be a straight road, but you can't drive straight down it because you've memorized where all the potholes are, so you, you, you're you, like, yeah, that guy must be drunk. No, 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 no. He's just been on this road way too many times. <laughs> exactly. Uh, Colossians 2 gives you this. What would it look like to explain that based on who God is? In Jesus, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. And in him, you have been made complete. And he is head over all rule and authority. And in him, you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. The removal of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. So, in Christ, this is one of those dumb things I'll say out loud. In Christ, you are actually united to Christ. So, things like 1 Corinthians 6. Do you not know that the one who joins himself to a prostitute is one body with her? For he says, two shall become one flesh. But the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. And if you are joined to Christ, you are not joined to later on be separated. This is the promise that Jesus made, John 10. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. So, once again, you can see why Paul has no quarter for the Romans 6-1 question. If you are in Christ, you are actually joined to Christ, never to be separated. You are a changed creation. Therefore, you are no longer living for the things of the world, the desires of the world, or the lusts of the world. Because if you, And if you are, you recognize that as brokenness and would be returning to Christ in repentance and faith so that he would continue to cleanse you. So there's no justifying. There's no arguing. This is also part of the cure. And by the way, I know none of you have ever been confronted with your sin and sat there and gone, thank you, dear brother, for pointing this out to me. I have wronged the Lord and you, and I shall repent. That's never how that's gone. It's always gone how? no, uh <laughs> Or, you know, you last week were, and, you know, then you... But let's also be honest. Exactly. That was in the moment. You were embarrassed. You were upset. I got it. You still lived on this side of Eden, and you, you live between this side of Eden and this side of the veil. So... The flesh every once in a while gets a little uppity and problems happen. What happened an hour later? A day later? A week later? Who did you know was wrong? Yeah, you know and I know that you were wrong, so it's okay. Well, it's, it's not okay, but you know, you can now do what? You can now react rightly. This is, again, one of the reasons why you take time. And one of the reasons why you should give time. This is what gracious living looks like amongst the body of faith. It's like, can you believe he's completely wrong and he reacted like that? Well, you just answered your own question. He reacted like that because he's completely wrong. And you know who knows he's completely wrong? He does. You know what he hates the most about being completely wrong? You pointing it out to him. Stop. (laughs) Once again, who becomes the problem? You do. This is again why I point to you, don't look at the moment. Don't live in the moment. Be faithful now, yes. Yes. But Christian, play the long game. Evaluate your life over time. Evaluate your righteousness over the years, over the decades as God gives them to you. And celebrate the accomplishments as they come. And when you realize that you were being a nitwit, then go apologize for being a nitwit. You know who knows you're going to be a nitwit at some point? Us. We, why? Because you're here. The first step of being a Christian is admitting what? I am really not a good person and not good at this. Therefore, why are you trying to pretend to be a good person? We already know you're not. We know that it isn't Christ that you are good. There's going to be faults and foibles. That's why I joking that and that's why I tell you I shouldn't tell you the bad stories about me. You know what? Everyone's while you need to know there's really bad stories about me. Cuz I'm not always a nice person and I if nothing else, I have gone out of my way to make sure that you will never hold your pastor up on a pedestal. <laughs> Unless it is tarnished and rusty. <laughs> you know why? I don't want to be on a pedestal. I should never be on one. You know who should be on the pedestal? Jesus. I'm not your savior, he is. I'm just trying to point the way. And sometimes I do it in a really dumb manner. Sometimes I do it in a really entertaining manner. You know, terms and conditions may apply, your mileage may vary. And, and sometimes I do it in a manner that's upsetting, and sometimes I fail along the way. Why? Because I'm human and I'm similus et peccator just as much as you are. And so what are we doing? We're trusting in Christ. Being built up by the Holy Spirit, persevering to the end, and rejoicing in that. Does that mean occasionally we're going to hit bumps? Yes. Does that mean occasionally we're going to fall down? Yes. But in Christ, he will not abandon you. He will not forget you. Therefore, you will be picked back up, and you'll be drugged, sometimes kicking and screaming, across the finish line. But we will get there. That's why Paul continues. Verse 6. Knowing this that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we no longer, I'm sorry, that we would no longer be slaves to sin. So this is your why. Jesus's work changes you. That's what we just covered. How? By actually killing you, To sin, So, Galatians 2. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. We actually had this conversation a little bit on Wednesday. One of the, for some other reason, well, I know why it came about, but I don't have time to, like, go through 400 years of church history with you right now. So, um, it's some people from the 1700s fault, okay? I'm just going to leave it at that. Okay. And and I'll add to it. And most of them are Methodists. So there you go. So if you need somebody to be mad at today, it's the Methodist fault. So if you see the Methodist at lunch today, kick him in the shins for me. (laughs) You stupid. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. (laughs) Mostly. (laughs) Don't kick people. That would be bad. So, this idea that humanity just kind of is flying willy-nilly in the universe, and it becomes our excuse and our crutch and our blame for everything. Well, of course they made that bad decision. They're just free to make their decisions because of their free will and do whatever they want. Okay, theologically speaking, this is an alien concept. You don't have free will. You are either a slave to sin, or you are a slave to Christ, You either have a corrupted nature and you are making decisions. Now, are you making free decisions? Yes. It's not like, you know, God is pre-programming you whether or not you had Pop-Tarts or Tosha Schrudels for breakfast this morning, okay? You are making decisions, but you are making them in accordance with your nature, okay? Which means if you are outside of Christ, you are in your sin. You are going to make decisions according to your sin nature. Now, does that mean you're going to be perfectly evil all the time? No. Um, A great joke on that is that even Hitler didn't kill his own mother. Eh? I mean, as be honest, like, because let's be honest, you are an American who has lived through the 20th century, most of you. So when I tell you who are the bad, who are the worst people in all of human history, let's be honest, Hitler's top three, right? Like, if, Maybe if you're like a really big history person, you'd be like, well, there's Judas, like um, Genghis Khan and Hitler. Like maybe that's your top three. So, oh, I forget Stalin, yeah. Well, they, now you're a recent history person. But let's be honest, Hitler's top three. Well, even Hitler wasn't so bad, he killed his own mother. So the, will you always make the most evil possible decision you can make at every possible opportunity? No, but you will, outside of Christ, make your decisions in line with your sinfulness. Meaning what? You might do a good thing. Why? Well, I gave that wonderful money to charity. Why? You ever notice like when super, super rich people give lots of money to charity, they never just write a check and leave it at that? What do they always do? We have a press conference. Why are we having a press conference? So that all of you can see how wonderful I am. <laughs> I spent $10 million so that you will all tell me I'm wonderful. I don't have issues at all. <laughs> just realize how vain and broken you are on the inside that you need to like spend gobs of more, more money than I will contemplate in my lifetime in order for other people to tell you how wonderful you are. It's like, does somebody need a hug? (laughs) See, don't kick people, hug more people. Just not like randomly at Walmart. That would get weird and they might call the cops on you. Because no offense, if somebody just randomly starts hugging me at Walmart, I'm going to be very, very afraid. (laughs) He's like, get off of me. But this this is what depravity of humanity looks like. is Yes, you might have done a good thing, but you did it for a sinful, fleshly reason. Now, if you are not a slave to sin, it is because you are dead in Christ and now alive in Christ, and you are no longer a slave to sin because you are now what? Free to do what you want? No. Romans 6.1 is meganoita. You are now a slave to Christ. You have a redeemed nature. You have a transformed heart, a renewed mind, a life that is being changed day by day. Therefore, you are not free to do whatever, but you are free to decide in righteousness. Again, with the Holy Spirit giving you dirty looks when you choose wrongly, and with God carrying you across as needed. Colossians 3. Do not lie to one another, since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices and have put on the new self, who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. Now, this isn't just Paul, 1 John 2. I am writing to you little children because your sins have been forgiven. Your sins have been forgiven you for his name's sake. I am writing to you fathers because you know him who has been from the beginning. I am writing to you young men because you have overcome the evil one. I have written to you children because you know the father. I have written to you fathers because you know him who has been from the beginning. And I have written to you young men because you are strong and the word of God abides in you. And you have overcome the evil one. Why? Because again, First John 2 comes after 1 John 1, where we have repented and put our trust in Christ, and he has cleansed us. Now, how does this work? Verse 7 gives you a really nice summation. For he who has died is free from sin. See, that's all you got to do to get rid of all of your sin. <laughs> you just got to be dead, and it all goes away. <laughs> now, if that couldn't be twisted by the lies of the world, I don't know what else could. Which, by the way, um, when we talk about twisting by the lies of the world, you don't think that idea has been twisted? You want to make the pain go away? You want to make the hurt stop? You want to make the bad thoughts end? What should you do? I mean, for crying out loud, if you're Canadian now, the government will do it for you. You're laughing, but you, what was the number? Um, they're, they're, in five, they're up to five digits. Um, assisted suicide in Canada. They, they helped over 10,000 of their own citizens kill themselves last year. And, and you wanted to see the depravity of humanity? It used to just be for people who had terminal illnesses. It's like, like you had to have like a, a diagnosis. A doctor had to sign off. They're like Well, they're going to be dead in five months anyway, so it'll be all right. We can end it early. Now they're expanding it for people who are just really sad. <laughs> yeah. What could possibly go wrong? <laughs> like get in line. Have you lived in this world? <laughs> like, which oh, keep in mind, keep in mind when you want to talk about the depravity of humanity, you do know that the most updated um, diagnostic and, uh, diagnostics and, and why can't I speak it? The DSM, Diagnostic and Statistics Manual, the most up-to-date one defines clinical depression. You're right, not just like you're sad, you are clinically depressed to where we should be prescribing you medication to play with your brain chemistry. If your spouse dies and you are still sad after two weeks. Two weeks! Now, I have not annoyed Cameron enough where she's going to get over it in two weeks yet. (laughs) See, now I have to include the story that was at the beginning of the sermon. Otherwise, people listening to this later won't get what that's a reference to. They're just going to have to ask questions. (laughs) But that's clinical depression. We can give you medication. We can assign you therapy. We can have you committed. We can kill you because you are clinically depressed. This is the depravity of This is the lie of biblical wisdom. Now, when Paul says, you are free from sin in death, he doesn't mean, go kill yourself so you'll be done with your sin. He means what? What has he been explaining? In Christ, you are dead. You are dead to the lusts of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, your old self. But you are also alive. This is what Jesus is pointing to. Luke 4 The book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. He opened the book and found the place where it was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed. That would be a lot like that. To proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And he closed the book, gave it back to the attendant, sat down, and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. This is what he does. He is freeing you from the oppression, from the iniquities of your own sin, from the depravity of the human heart and mind. And Lord knows we need to be freed from it because we will come up with all manner of brokenness. And that is what Christ is undoing. And how does he do it? By ending who you were and remaking you in his image. Which, wait for it, is the way this was always supposed to be. What are Adam and Eve in the garden? What's Genesis 1? What, 27 and 28? Male and female, he created them. In the image of God, he created them. Humanity is supposed to be made in the image of God. You're supposed to be image bearers, exercising dominion on behalf of God. Sin comes in and starts to break down that process. What is Christ now doing, Christian? You are now the people of God exercising his rule and dominion in your life. This is why I tell you your first ministry is always at home. What are you supposed to be doing in your world? Exercising the reign of Christ in everything you can. When I get to make these decisions, I make them in a godly manner. That's exercising the the creation mandate. That's exercising that dominion mandate. When I raise my children, I raise them unto the glory of God because these are the children God has given to me, and I do it unto his glory so that I will exercise his dominion in the places that I have influence. And as I give to... they're having fun, aren't they? <laughs> it's when the kids go from having fun to having too much fun, it's, which is probably better than the other danger. You ever have the other, the, the more terrifying one is when they're making noise and then suddenly they're not. They're like, wait a minute, what just happened? <laughs> there was no loud crash, nothing broke, there's no screaming, something is wrong. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Worry when they're quiet because that's when the plotting is going on. But this is what dominion living looks like. Now, this is what sanctification is. It is you... Being undone in your old self and being remade into whose image? Christ's image. Being rightly, I'll give you more Latin, imago Dei. Rightly made in the image of God day by day, knowing that there is coming a time when he will complete it. That's what this is. is your humanity, your sinfulness being undone and and Christ's likeness being built up in you day by day. Galatians 5. Those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. First Peter puts it this way, First Peter 4. Since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same purpose, because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live the rest of the time in the flesh no longer for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. That's putting it to death. You're warring against your sin because you are no longer a slave to it. It is no longer master over you, and you conquer your sin by fighting it, because while you fight, you know the good work of Christ is being done. While you're fighting, you are not surrendering to your sin because you have surrendered to christ and while you are fighting you can rejoice that the holy spirit is bringing you to a good end this is your joy you should to bad 80s movies you should love when it comes to your sin you should love the smell of napalm in the morning go to war fight destroy iniquity where you find it now recognize this it's going to make you miserable a lot Because you know what's going to happen is you recognize your sin and seek to put it to death. You know what you're going to pay more attention to, more and more? The world around you. And what are you going to see about it? This is where you have to remember, Christian, who you are, who they are, and what the problems are. How did you get to where you are? By remembering Christ, surrendering and living for him. And when you look at the world, don't look at them with disdain. Don't look at them and go, I can't believe you people. Well, of course they live like this. They're what? They're slaves to their sin. Now, how did you get out? What's different about you? This is where you get to proclaim Christ's goodness and righteousness unto the nations. Is you get to proclaim and live for him even in the square. Is as you live, you get to point out the iniquity and the sin and the brokenness. And you also get to build up the foundation rightly as to who you are and what makes this right. Verse 8. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Well, yeah, because this is our faith, is that what God has promised, he will actually accomplish. We covered this a few weeks ago. I'll give you the quick refresher on it now. Don't let the world lie to you and change the definition of faith. So the world likes to look at you and go, well, you're a person of faith. You believe in God. I'm just not a person of faith. I don't believe in God. That's not what faith means. We don't have faith that there's a God there or there maybe isn't a God there. We know that God is there. That's Romans 1. Romans 1 is always in effect. I know, you know, you know that I know, and you know how that goes. So, we both know that he's actually there. No, I just actually trust that he's going to accomplish what he has promised. That's what faith actually is. The the longing of things that are hoped for. The trust in things that are not yet seen. That what God has promised, he will deliver. So, yes, if we have died with him, we believe, we have faith that we shall also live with him. 1 Corinthians 15. Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. 2 Timothy 2. It is a trustworthy statement. For if we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign. If we, if we deny him, he will deny us. If we, are, if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Faith is rightly placed there. Why? Why? Because it's built on the promise that God has given. John 7. On the last day the, day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. What did he tell the crowds in Matthew? Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. This is what Jesus was always promising, is as you come to him, he will fulfill the promises of God. He is carrying over them. The promises that were made back to Adam and Eve, the promises that were renewed in Noah, the promises that were then given to Israel with Moses at the mountain, the promises that were carried forward by the and reminded of by the prophets through the nations. Jesus is going, all those promises? Yeah, yeah. I'm carrying them forward, and I'm telling you that as you come to me, as you are my people, that those are your promises too. And what God has promised, he is faithful to deliver. How might you know that? Verse 9. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over him. See, we can actually believe that Jesus can accomplish this. Because um, in all the arm wrestling matches, how many has Jesus lost? (laughs) It's, It's almost like God's undefeated in all of these fights. And you can see this. So what enemy has Jesus conquered? Yes. So temptation, Hebrews 4. We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, and yet without sin. Death, Acts 2. God raised Jesus up again, putting an end to the agony of death, since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. And therefore, sin. 1 Corinthians 15. When this perishable will have put on the imperishable, and this mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. See, in the history of humanity, you know what the two biggest fears are, right? And depending on which person you ask depends on whether or not they're which ones one and two. Public speaking and death. And I'm not kidding. For some of you, public speaking might actually be higher on that list than death. <laughs> I have met some of those people. had some of those people in seminary. That was brutal preaching classes. <laughs> you ever seen somebody try to give a sermon who's terrified to talk in public? It's like, stop looking at me. But here's where, again, the lie of the world becomes so insidious. Why is humanity so afraid of death? See, you sit there and go, that's that's a good question. You start thinking and go, well, again, Romans 1 is in effect. They're afraid of death because what do they know is true? They know that there's a God. They know that he's righteous. They know that they're not. And they know that those two things go together like oil and water. Therefore, that's not going to end well. That's the power that sin has. That's the fear that it brings. And that's, by the way, also why... Humanity, death spirals in sin. Because when you sin and you are called out on it, and when you sin and you are aware of it, and you are unwilling to turn away from it, how do you soothe the conscience? You sin more. Because now that wasn't so bad because this is worse. And that wasn't so bad because this is worse. And I'm not so bad because you're bad. And you're not so bad because... I'm bad. And this is why they get mad at you when you look at them and go, that's terrible. (sighs) I mean, why would you say such a thing? We're all doing what here? Seeking to have have their consciences soothed. And that's why things like Isaiah can tell you, woe to them who call evil good and good evil. Because you're basically doing what? You're lying to each other and trying to comfort one another while we're all marching in the same direction to destruction. What could possibly go wrong? This is what Christ breaks. by killing the old you, by overcoming temptation, by conquering death. All of the arguments are gone. All of of the whispers that the enemy has have been defeated. All of the lies have had the light shine. They've been exposed to the brilliance of God's glory. And you are left with answers. The danger comes when we keep looking at who? Us. Which is why I forever tell you to look away from you and look to Christ. Yes, you looked at you. You saw how bad you were. Stop it because there's where the lie comes in. There's where the, ac- the accusation comes in. There's where the, did God really say, you know you're really not that good? Well, yes, I know, but look at him. <laughs> this is the celebration. This is the joy. This is the accomplishment. He has overcome temptation. He has overcome death. He has conquered my sin. He has promised me a place in his kingdom. He is preserving me. He has granted me his spirit. He will not let me go astray. He is doing all of these things and you can shut up because I'm going this way. That's the joy of sanctification. That's the joy of understanding who God is and who you are in light of him. This is why and this is the answer to the question when I tell you to think on who you are on a daily basis, is to think of yourselves in the light of God, recognizing the realities of the end of chapters five, chapter 5 in Romans, that yes, sin abounds and grace abounds all the more. That's not an excuse. That's a joyous realization that God will redeem his people. It's a joy that in spite of who we are, With his righteousness, he has not turned away in disgust, but he has brought us into his kingdom by his great accomplishment and his great work. It's an accomplishment, again, not of us, but of him. And that's why this can end where it does. Verse 10. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives... He lives to God. Since we covered so much of the first half of that sentence last week, we're basically just going to gloss right over it. You have to go listen to last week if you missed it. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. So because sin is defeated, because temptation is overcome, because death has been conquered, because righteousness has been proclaimed, because you have been released as captives, and you have been healed by the work of God and brought into his kingdom, you now get to do what? Follow as Jesus is doing. What is Jesus doing? Glorifying God. Everything an offering. This is the picture that you get at Revelation, is the work of the Lamb, presenting a people unto the Father, granting them to God. This is your people, made in your image, redeemed from the brokenness, redeemed from the sin and the marring of their image in the world, brought to you spotless. Remember the the crowds in Revelation? What are they? They're wearing white robes. How have they been whitened? the the most undone laundry in all of human history. They have been washed and made white in the blood of the lamb. That is what he has done. He's presenting a people to the father because this is what Jesus does. First Peter three, for Christ died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Something I mentioned earlier, second Corinthians five, he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God. In him. In him. This is the accomplishment. Christ lives for God. Because you are Christ's. you are in him, never to be separated, to be brought to a good end. Therefore, verse 11. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. So what does that mean? That as Christ lives for God, and as you live in Christ, you now live how? For God. 2 Corinthians 5. The love of Christ controls us, having exited... Um, not exited. So just went right out of my head. Never mind. I'll leave it alone. For the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all, so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Galatians 6. May it never be that I would boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. And if you don't want to hear it from Paul, you can hear it from Peter, 2 Peter 1. That's, again, where the second half of Christian rubber meeting worldly road is you're not bound by them anymore, and you're not lost in their world any longer because you are not like them anymore. Rejoice. Mourn for them, but rejoice for you, Christian, and now do what? Reorient how much of your life around God. (laughs) Yeah, not some of it. All of it. And again, this is, this is your war and this is part of your difficulty. This is, I've made mention of this numerous times in the past, but like none of us are ever gonna be famous, right? And most of humanity is not famous. Like, you know, it's, it's if you have that experience. Some of you are old enough to have this experience multiple times where you'll, you'll see some celebrity that was like a really big thing when you were like a teenager or a young adult and they die and you're like, I hadn't thought about them in years. And then you remember that that was, they were everywhere. Like, I'm starting, I'm, I'm only in my 40s, and I'm starting to get old enough that people that were a big deal in the 90s are dying. And it's like, oh, wow, yikes, that's going to accelerate now. Oh, that makes me feel bad. But most of us don't live this world. Most of us aren't known. Most of us aren't renowned. And most of us aren't trying to do great things. And this is the lie that the world tries to tell you. The world tries to you, go, go, go do great things for God, go do big, massive things. No, 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 be faithful. Live your life day in and day out. These are your works that you give unto the Father. These are the means of grace poured out for you. This is why my example is always things like loving your spouse and raising your children and giving advice to your grandkids and your nephews and loving your neighbor because this is the this is the stuff you do. Like, I'm not gonna go tell you to go, you know, like Storm Walmart for the gospel. Like if you wanna go Storm Walmart with your gospel tracks and your like your Ray Comforts, you know, ideas. God bless you, go for it. I'm not gonna stop you, but most of you, that's like a horrifying thought that I'm gonna, like, I'm gonna Billy Graham style stand up in the street corner and start yelling at everybody. Now, look, if you have that desire and you have that ability, God bless you. Yeah, go. But for most of you, you, the means of grace poured out in your life are loving your families and guiding your communities and giving advice to your neighbors and, and living out the commandments day by day. You know, love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. And these are the great works because this is the vast majority of all of Christian history. Not some of Christian history, all of it is you go through the the martyrs of the Roman Empire and you go through the Middle Ages and there's just forgotten Christians in villages in the middle of nowhere in France living and dying and glorifying their God day in and day out. And those are the saints most high. Those are the ones that come into the kingdom and God goes, these are mine. These are my exalted saints who have run the race and accomplished the work that I have set for them. And rejoice in that because that's what God has given to you, and that's what it means to be living unto the glory of God. It's not I accomplished that one thing that one time. No, 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 it's every single day, day in and day out, loving God, loving the things that He has given to you, being content with the world that He has provided, even though it's miserable most of the time, <laughs> and rejoicing in your little dominion of the gospel your little exercise of the image of God and that creation mandate in that little place that he has handed you so that you will glorify him in as many things as you can possibly do as he gives you strength. And know that when you get to the end and you close your eyes that you have run a good race. Well done, my good and faithful servant. But there was nothing great. There was nothing marvelous. It was all great and it was all marvelous because it was all given unto God. That's the joy. That's the hope here. Not to wallow in sin. Not to try to be something you're not but to be exactly what Christ would have you to be, which is like him in the world that he has given to you. Let's pray.